Please be seated. Pray with me if you would. Father in heaven, you sent your Son, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer, to suffer death upon a very special cross, the only one that ever was and will be, the one that he calls us to take up and carry, a copy, a simile, a picture of the life he's calling us to live. Father, we look to you now uh, in solemn repentance. We're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs of grace and truth and all the things you've blessed us with, but you, through the blood of your Son, made us alive and sent your Holy Spirit to give us this new life. So, Father, bless our time together as we go through these words, the words that he spoke. And we do pray it in your Son's name, our Lord Jesus. Amen. There are seven words Jesus gives on the cross. And I want to read them because I want us to really sink our teeth into them. Uh, it's um, Now, when I was a kid, uh, I remember the first time I was in a church on a Good Friday. The preacher, who was a British guy, I didn't know anything about any of that then, but it was really interesting. He went through all seven words and spent probably a half an hour on each one. Now, as a kid, I didn't grasp what was going on, but I knew that the fellow that was standing in the pulpit and whoever was behind him up there somewhere had something going for him. So I paid attention, but none of that sunk in until I was 37. And uh, it takes a long time, doesn't it, to get to... I think we all have a stubborn streak in us. And <laughs> and uh, But at any rate, it's, the power of the cross is our salvation. Now, before I begin this, I want to say, if you really want to understand the cross, I mean, and you want to sit down and really, you know, think about it between now and Sunday morning when we celebrate the resurrection, I want you to go back and listen to Brooke's sermon from last week. That was as good a sermon on the cross of Christ as you're going to get anywhere. So, um... Do, do that, and, and I think it'll be a real blessing for you. Um, but I want to look at the cross in a, in a kind of a different dimension, because in every time I open the Scripture, there's something new that pops out. If you've ever noticed that when you're reading it, you say, well, I never thought of it like that before. Um, but these seven words do something that I think we fail to see. We tend to get kind of morbid on on Good Good Friday, when in reality, there's something that Jesus is doing here, this other dimension that he's doing, that uh, that is a, an uplifting experience, and which I think 
when you got a cross in your life and you're living under the cross, you begin to look at yourself and see who you really are in the shadow of that cross. I think it's great we have an empty cross on the uh, behind the altar and that we tend to wear those because it does speak to a risen Christ who fulfilled all of the law, but by his sacrifice, by his blood sacrifice, by his shedding his blood. There are seven words he says. Father, the first one, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then he says, I tell you the truth. Today, he says to the criminals on either side, but this one criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. Dear woman, here is your son, to the disciple John, here is your mother. Then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he says, I thirst. Then he says, it's finished. And then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Spread over a period of hours... These words come out in the midst of an agony of physical, bodily suffering. Um, I don't want to get into all that, but you can visualize it in your mind. That's the point of, of the crucifixion, is that we need to understand the full dimension of the cross. But today, I want to look at these words in terms of something else. Each one of these words speak to a human need. Each one of these words are said over a world of people who have no clue as to who God really is, to what he has created them for, and what their destiny is, and what their place is, what their, their life is about. He says these words that kind of almost... Uh, give us the gospel in a nutshell, so to speak. They are the, the, the fountainhead of the spiritual life. Now, the first thing I think I want to do is to understand the first word, Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But Jesus reveals on the cross something that had been floating around for centuries, but now he put it right out there in front of them. God is your heavenly father. He's your heavenly father. And I'm his son. And what it means to be a son is, is to be filled with the spirit of father sends and has given me And what he's given me is to say, I forgive you. Father, forgive these priests. Forgive the high priest. Forgive Pontius Pilate. Forgive the soldiers. Forgive the indifferent people. Forgive the people out there in the crowd who shout, crucify him. And if you were to translate it into today's world, look at television. 
And think of Jesus saying, all of those people and all that language and all of those images that come across, Father, forgive them. That's why he went to the cross. We have a need deep inside of us for some nature that Paul identified you know, so clearly as sin. The good that I want to do, I can't. And the evil that I would never do, I find myself doing. And, oh, there's nothing in me that's worth anything. But thank God through Jesus Christ. And there is an amen for that. And it's okay to say amen on Good Friday. <laughs> oh, there's power in the cross. But what he's saying is, we need to understand that forgiveness is not just what he gives us, but that it's a quality of his nature that he gives through us. And it becomes a lifestyle. Instead of me reacting to everybody's comment, to everybody's insult, to everybody's problem in the world, he says, back off. Think about how I have forgiven them and look at them as images of God who need to be loved by me and you. See what I mean? Father, forgive them. And how many times don't we need that same forgiveness? Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you know, we're, we, we got half the knowledge. We know Jesus is the, is the focal point for forgiveness because that's what he said from the cross. But this is, this is probably our basic need. Number one, to know the Father and to know that he has forgiven me personally. And he's forgiven you personally. I like it what um, Earl Sandifer said here a few years ago about his word, which we'll get to. But the Word of God, he said, if you're five minutes away from the Bible, I can't trust you. And if I'm five minutes away from the Bible, you can't trust me. Sounds like there's a need for forgiveness because we're not taking him that seriously, you know. And, and, uh, but Father, forgive them. They... And Father, you know, He's the Father of each one of us. He created us. Now, our earthly fathers, well, we'll get to that, but the, our earthly fathers always come up short. Now, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I've come up real short. But I know that because I have a heavenly Father, somehow that is going to be carried over into the lives of the kids that we bore that my wife bore, that we raised. If you train a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't turn from it. Father, forgive us. The second, the second word... I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. And there's lots of theories about paradise and heaven and what's the, is there an intermediate state and all this kind of thing. Hey, forget all that. Forget all the controversies and the speculations and so on. I like what Jesus says. I'm going, I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. And it's going to happen the moment, the day that you die. 
that you're going to go right into the arms of Jesus. That's paradise. What else? What more could you ask? You see, today, this, effort, this, this next moment, you're, if, if we should all just suddenly just evaporate, we would be in the arms of Christ. Now, that's pretty good. But now there's this other word, truth. He says, I tell you the truth. And, you know, he's, he says a lot, makes a lot of statements. Truly I say unto you. I love the old King James Version. Truly I say unto you. He's speaking in truth. Now, Pontius Pilate asked him what's truth and Jesus remained silent. I think that was a good thing he remained silent because he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have caught it. No one caught it then anyway. They, they're going to catch it at Pentecost though. They're going to catch it when, he ra- when he's raised from the dead. They're going to catch it then. They're going to understand. But truth, what Jesus identifies the truth, he says, uh, Father, in his big prayer, the Lord's, the big Lord's prayer in John 17, he says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And you want to know what the truth is, just start reading the scripture. And suddenly you're going to discover that the truth is not just a bunch of concepts, but it's a living person who is exercising everything in the scripture and fulfilling it. I think that's kind of exciting that, wait a minute, the way and the life, the truth, the way and the life are not concepts. That's right. We can think about them and, you know, get some principles and so on. But they are realities that are working in us all the time. We don't even understand how it's working, but it's working. That's the truth. Truly, I say unto you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm here for you, he says. I've got your back wherever you go. I can handle that. There's a lot of things that are hard to handle, but when he's got your back... mm. Dear woman, third word, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. You know, Jesus, you know, Joseph's gone at this point. He just seems to have disappeared at some point, may have died early. Who knows? But the mother of Jesus, the family, the emphasis here is not on her divinity or any of that kind of thing that you that people have speculated on. What is this saying? Think of the gut level sense of relationship, a mother and her child, and he's turning over motherhood to to the understanding of motherhood and the understanding of being a child and the understanding of a child being a son and a son taking care of his... Think of the compassion and the kindness that he is instituting at that point and how we're to begin to deal with each other in our families. Suddenly, he's transferred the whole... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that perfect relationship into these last words. He's looking at his mother. Boy, motherhood. Do you know, the the two greatest things you can have in this world, the two greatest roles you play, is being, for women, a mother and a wife, for a man, a father and a father. 
and a husband. The two greatest roles you can possibly play. They are above anything in the world. Above empires, above presidents, above kings, above leaders. He sanctifies what it means to be a parent and what it means to be a child and how we are all children of God and how we look to each other and comfort each other in stress and times of need. You see, these are all needs, aren't they? These are the needs he's lifting up in us and then answering at the same time. Oh, and then this one. You can imagine him on the cross suffering the agony and the shouting and the screaming and the blood and the soldiers and all of this stuff. And he's, and he's saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's something critical in this statement that we need to understand. All of us, because of sin, are born into this world, five-letter word, alone. Alone. We are born into this world in last place. The world says, I can tell you what it means to be in first place. You get to be the president, the head of a corporation, uh, get a trophy uh, for playing some sport. Uh, you get to be number one in the gang. You get to be number one in your business or well-known at this and that. No. No. That's not what it is. Because you're still alone when you get all those worldly accomplishments and their degrees and diplomas. He says, Jesus says this, I promise you, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. No one here is an orphan because you've been born again. You have been made a child of God. You're a son and daughter of God and a younger brother and sister of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. The cross guarantees your ascension in this world and in the next. But that same ascension of being lifted above the world as an alien and a stranger in it and above it, the spirit of humility says, back up. And look at the rest of the world and its need. You have been given an answer to your needs as a person, as a lone person. And in your aloneness, the way you were born, you had, to, you had to go out there and figure it all out and get an identity in the world and all this. And suddenly, Jesus comes and gives you an identity. One that's above anything. You're a child of God. Inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. You have an identity that is eternal. And it gives you a, a sense, that need to look at the people you come in contact with and say, I wonder if they, and quiet, just quietly think, does this person know you, Lord God? That person behind the counter, the person driving in the next car, the person you're going to meet on whatever appointment you're going to, whether it's a doctor or a salesman or whatever, I wonder if they know you, Lord God. I just wonder right now. Because they, you love them. I think, you know, when you, if 
you were to look around, then we'd turn all the lights on and look at, at, look at each other, we would have to say, I don't know them and they don't know me. But you know what Jesus has done? He's brought us into the body of Jesus. Jesus has brought us into his body so that we suddenly become spiritual brothers and sisters, which is a higher standing and calling than just being a physical brother and sister and a physical mother and father. Suddenly those roles become defined and real because of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has saved brothers and sisters to be real brothers and sisters, saved mothers and fathers to be real mothers and fathers, because that's our deep need, isn't it? To be a father like the father is a father. Wow, I can handle that. And then, I thirst. Jesus says, I thirst. Yes, his body was thirsty. And what does the world do? Takes sour wine, vinegar, sticks it on a sponge and puts it up to his mouth. He tastes it and rejects it. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not what it's about. I'm talking about your thirst. He's saying, I was thirsty because of your thirst. What is it we really thirst for? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be right, isn't that the thing that's our deepest need when we're dealing with the world and being all the roles we play? We want to do it right. We want to get it right. In fact, I want to, I want to be right, right with you right now. I'm, I believe that being right is having faith in Jesus Christ as I speak each word. And hopefully you grab it in that same sense. You receive the word that it's the right word because God has initiated his word to be the right word with the right way to live, the right way to speak, the right way to act. And when you are free in the Holy Spirit of God, that's why Jesus went to the cross, to let you be right wherever you are and confident because of it. That's the cross. The cross accomplished that for you. Yes, righteousness is a, a rightness. Right, just being right is a real need. The righteousness of Christ is pure, perfect, confident, being right. It's not how we fit into the world. It's how we fit into God. That enables us to fit in anywhere, at any time. And then, after he says that, he says, it's finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. It means exactly that. Everything I came to do, I've completed. I know it's been done exactly right. There's never been a mistake. There's never been an error. There's never been a sin. Father, what I did was to obey you at every single moment I lived. I'm confident, Father, that I know I'm dying and I know that I'm about to give up everything, my life. And, but I know it's been your will. Then he says in those closing words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's, the, that's that 
energy within you, that 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 soul, that that spurring spiritual reality that was born again in you, that you you are willing to you're willing to just lay it out there for the world to see and for anybody to see. You're giving up. You're dying to self in order that someone else may live. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There's something else here. The need to understand the Father's will. Jesus said it was his food to do his Father's will. And then he says to us, the will of God for you is this, to believe on the one he sent, which is him, which is Jesus. Now, what does that mean? You see, everybody wants to know, what, what is the will of God for me? I'll tell you what the will of God is for you and for me. It's to believe in his presence in every next moment where you face the unknown where you face decisions you're not sure of, where you face surgery, where you face death, where you face life, where you face birth, where you face friends, where you face the people you don't know, when there's opposition and ridicule and you feel all alone. Hmm. The will of God for you is to have faith in Him at that moment. That's the will of God. And that's when you will be risen from the dead and experience your resurrection. Resurrection isn't just for that moment when you die and you're taken into the arms of Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you have every next moment as an experience of the resurrected Jesus, with the Holy Spirit bringing you forward. He accomplished this on the cross for you. You see where these seven words take us? They're the answer to all of our basic needs. The need for forgiveness. The need for identity. The need to overcome our aloneness. The need to conquer sin that comes up. The need to know the will of God. To understand what God wants. To understand the truth. To understand the scripture. It's every next moment. In fact, the whole theme of the cross is Jesus is getting us to look forward to the next moment. The next moment when you leave here today. Not to get back into the into the cubby of your den, but to be aware of his presence wherever you may be, because by faith he's calling you to act out what he's freed you to do, to be a witness, because that's the role we're all called to play. I, uh, I find that this is God's will in a much deeper sense. And I'd like to use this to underscore what Paul says. This is in Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those, those men who do evil, those, per, those persecutors of the flesh. For it is, it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship 
the Spirit of God, in the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ. If anyone thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised in the eighth day by people who couldn't care, they're from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a believer. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lived all these things. And he says in the second chapter, Have this attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider, a God with, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen.